Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of CIR Realty Business Mastery. And we have almost had a theme the last couple of weeks here, and that has been on investors. We think the investment environment in Alberta is primed. Uh, we think there's a lot of great opportunity, which we're going to talk to you about today. And, and even people have been forced into being investors, and we'll talk about that. But I'm here with our special guest today, who is Bill Biko, uh, with, uh, and Bill runs a website called Educated Landlord. And he coaches landlords on ways to obviously optimize their investments, get in the game and different things like that. And Bill, first of all, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you for having me here. It's uh, fun getting to talk to people. Yeah. And, and uh, we were introduced to Bill from one of our realtors and we sat down and chatted and it's been fantastic because you have so much firsthand knowledge on this conversation, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as, yeah, as we all definitely. life experience. <laughs> and well, let's let's dive into it. We got a lot of topics to cover about like what type of investment properties, things like that. But you know, the, the theme today is well, many things, but we'll just call it investment properties for now and let's let's see which which uh, sort of trails we end up going down. Where we weave. I like it. I okay. like it. Okay, Bill. Take us at your, your, your Educated Landlord website. How do you get experience for that? Tell us a bit about your backstory. Let's, uh, let's go way back, back to the early 2000s. Uh, we were expecting our second child, and we were kind of researching what we should do. I'd been working in technical sales for years, and we wanted to do our own thing, get our own company, maybe make our own trail. And uh, we weren't quite sure what to do, and then my wife stumbled across a, a real estate seminar. And... She went to it with another friend of ours. I don't know what I was doing, probably babysitting our other daughter. Yeah, fair. And uh, she went and she signed us up for a, a $5,000 real estate course that night. <laughs> so it's we, a lot of money today and a lot yeah, of money back then yeah. too. So we, uh, we signed up for the course. It was up in Edmonton. It was uh, June of 2003. It was on lease options and all kinds of real estate stuff. And uh, we went and did the course, just got excited. It yeah. was just, it was so exciting and uh, came back within a month. We'd bought our first property within a month and a day. We made our first mistake um, and just kind of went from there. So uh, before the year even ended, we'd already bought, I think we were up to six properties by the end of the year. Wow. Um, just kind of went crazy. The rule, it was just the wild west back then. So the yeah. rules were a little bit different. Uh, there was assumptions. There was a whole bunch of stuff going on. So we started buying up more properties. We got involved with some of the real estate investment groups, uh, real estate investment network here in Calgary uh, at the time back then, and met some great people, just continued to grow like crazy, uh, ended up buying uh, it was around 50 properties over a, a four-year period. Um, we kept some, we flipped some, we renovated some, and really got into the, the long-term hold with the properties. And as we went along, we got to that 2007, 2008 mark where everything kind of went down. So we just kind of battened down the hatches and more and more landlords were coming to me because of my experience with all these properties. And I guess I have to step back a little bit. Some of these properties were actually rooming houses. We got involved in the rooming house market. Okay. Yep. So in my, my peak, we had 52 rooms that we were running on a weekly basis wow. along with another 26 doors on top of that. So it was, it was a huge educational experience. And again, back to the good and the bad. Yes. So I learned how to deal with problem tenants. Yeah. And, Which uh, is rooming houses. That's a yeah, that's a, a relation. People are your biggest uh, yeah, asset and yeah, liability. Exactly. So, as I learned how to deal with the problems, more and more other landlords who knew what I was doing and knew I was experienced with all the the evictions and, and dealing with problems uh, were starting to come with me. 
And you know, how do I do this? What do we do this? So yeah. I put together a guide and a website, albertaeviction.com. So I taught landlords how to deal with the eviction process. So I educated them on the whole process. And the more people I showed this and the more scripts and information I had up there, the more I found out there were so many landlords that were just in over their heads, yeah, completely over their heads. You know, they were letting tenants in because they seemed like nice people. They were just breaking all the rules. So that led me to the Educated Landlord, which was approximately 2011, and started building that out. And instead of focusing on Alberta, uh, Educated Landlord actually helps landlords around the planet. So I've got landlords from South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, wow. Great Britain, all across North America that are, I've got courses on there and just general knowledge that, you know, it's not rule specific, but it's knowledge that walks them through. Well, you the, have, the you have somebody who is uh, interested in, in doing a, I'm going to say temporary living arrangement with yeah. somebody else and they have personalities, they have jobs. You want to be certain that your house is taken care of. Like it would be apply across all markets. Yes. Yeah, like it's a lot of the stuff with landlording is so generic. It works everywhere. And of a lot of it is so specific. It only works in some areas. Yeah. So I try to promote the information that works everywhere. One of the simple tips that I tell a lot of landlords is if you have multiple properties, paint them all the same color with white trim. You know, that yes. way, if you need to send a handyman, it's, in my case, it was 8672W. <laughs> that, that was the, the code for the paint. So I never had to worry about it. It's like I had my five-gallon bucket of paint, and it's like my painter would just go get more or take my bucket, and it's just, it matched. It just worked. Yes. You know, sometimes it didn't match, and it was maybe a tint off, but it didn't involve multiple coats of repainting. It was just one coat of paint, and it was so close, it just made life simple. And that's a lot of the things with landlords. If you can make their life simpler, they just get happier because it does get confusing with 70 plus doors. Wow. So, so, so let's, let's actually talk to you. I had some personal experiences. I've only probably bought about five investment properties in my day. And I was, my first one was 2004. And I, and this was the tail end of what we sort of the wild west as yeah. things go in. But I had put down, I threw my real estate commissions in at the time. And so $4,000 uh, cash to mortgage assumed it, no questions asked by the yeah. bank. And, and that was it. So $4,000 down. And I had this house in Charleswood, $255,000. I think I paid for it. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. um, did I still own it today? No, but I, I you know, I sold it at, at a good time. I actually rented out my rooms to university tenants, um, and, uh, lived in the basement, which was unfinished. But tell us a bit about that, that wild west environment. Um, so you're talking about pricing assumptions. Well, it was, there was so many wonderful things back then. Uh, the prices were so low, you know, we were buying condos for $70,000. We were buying, you know, bungalows in various areas for 120, 130,000. Yeah. Uh, I still have a property over in Forest Lawn that we bought for $113,000 wow. back in 2005. Uh, we had the assumptions going on, which were just incredible as far as the investors go. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of creativity we were doing. One of the one of the things we would do is we would help people who were going into foreclosure. They were having challenges making payments and we would go in and we would buy buy the property on a contract, but it would be a six month contract where we get to take over. So yeah. they would move out right away. We'd give them upfront money so they could go find a new place, move on. We'd go in, we'd do renovations for a couple months and then we'd spend two or three months selling it. Yes. And then do a simultaneous close on the end. Yes. And it was a, a beautiful process. That was some of the wild west back then. Yes. But now the the banks want the titles to be seasoned, so you can yeah. do some of those things. Yeah, and skip transfers and things yeah. like that. Aren't so people who were abusing the system were taking advantage of it and kind of wrecked it for those that used the system in a, in a better way. 
And we would do that and we'd be able to be in and out with just renovation money instead of having to get all new financing, having yes. to make all these payments. We'd cover all the payments for the homeowner while they're there. We'd catch up the mortgage depending on the situation to get them caught up. So it saved the homeowner from going into foreclosure. It put a brand new shiny home back on the market and it typically sold it. And we'd just sit in the middle and make a little bit of money on the renovation and the whole process. And, and it, it, it saved people, it helped us, and it allowed us to have more money so we could go buy a rental property with the money we made. So. Yeah. You know what I love? And I like where, and realtors are like, well, yeah, yeah, but we can't do any of that today. It's like, well, no, there's some, there's some changes now, but I'll tell you, it's nice to know what the history was. Cause if you're dealing with some investors who might be educated and so some courses, they may read an old book. I mean, like even, is it Robert Allen's like zero down, yeah. you know, some of the, the, yeah. the classic sort of Bibles of this, that people will come into you. Oh, I want to do a skip transfer. I want to do this. I want to do that. And you can at least understand what it was like back then and know where they're coming from and, and be able to educate them. Yeah, exactly. So now we've got agreements for sale that do yes. a similar thing. And yeah. if we go back to that original course that we took, that $5,000 course, it was actually a U.S. instructor. So that very first property that we bought, we followed the U.S. rules and we went to a great real estate lawyer here in Calgary. Yeah. And he saw what we were doing. He said, you can't do that. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? Well, that's a U.S. thing. This is how you do it here. Yes. It's like, perfect. So it's really important to surround yourself with the people that know how things work. Absolutely. And yeah, it's lessons. Well, and so let's, let's talk about, because for a while here, the, the market has gone a bit cold. I mean, uh, the, you know, Calgary has been on this roller coaster with the economy and things like that. But we are seeing the investment market um, heating up again, even the last, I would say even six months or there's, so there's some changes here. So, um, and some of it, uh, some of it's forced, some of it's, you know, uh, deliberate opportunity things, but tell me why people are turning to investment properties again. What's happening? There's many different factors right now. So a lot of people are concerned with the, their investments in general. Yes. So they they see real estate as a, a possible option. Uh, real estate seems to always retain its value for the most part. Totally. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity in places like Alberta right now. We've got people who can pick up a property and rent it out for 20, 25 years. And you know, they've got steady cash flow. They've got their mortgage getting paid down. And it's really a, a good time at the moment. You know, the market's kind of down. The homeowners are kind of concerned about buying another property. You know, should we move? Should we stay? Do, am I going to have a job in six months? Am I going to have a job in a year? Yes. So that rental market is getting stronger and stronger as more people are just kind of waiting out the cushion. It's true. And then the final thing is just affordability. You know, in our mindset, you know, I, I go back to these $130,000, $150,000 homes we were buying, you know, 15 years ago. Well, you know, they're $350,000, $450,000. But the wages are so much higher here in Calgary and Alberta. So it's still affordable. And Calgary and area is one of the most affordable areas. So granted, we have a lot of people unemployed, but the people who can buy can afford to buy. And now it's just a matter of a lot of them sitting on the edge going, should I buy? Well, and, and Albertans still have, I heard the stat, I don't know if it was you and I talking or somebody else, but they were saying that Albertans still have the highest income per capita in Canada. Yeah. Yet our affordability market, we're not Vancouver, we're not Toronto. You know, this is a um, a prime place to to find affluent individuals who need a place to live still. And I guess the other thing is we don't we don't have some of the fears that we have going on. You know, the high pricing out in Vancouver, the high pricing out in Toronto. Uh, we also have very favorable landlord tenant laws out here. So it's yes. it's a pretty even keel, and that just makes it easier as a landlord when you have to deal with problems. We've 
do have challenges with the process. You know, it's taking four, six, eight weeks to get tenants out sometimes with some of the processes, but there's ways to shorten that. There's no government things. rental fixing. Oh, like rent controls. Rent controls, yeah. thank you. That's the word rent, I was looking for. Rent interference. Rent interference. Is it true? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's it's insane. I mean, when... Oh, it's great. I, and I, I love that. I, mean, I of can course go off we, on a huge tangent on that. Yes, I, I, absolutely. <laughs> and there was a time, I mean, I remember 2006, everyone with the condo conversions, jacking up rent, and now they made rules about six months and things like that. So, so it's there, but I, I think Alberta... Um, even though Washington political landscape, and we did serve four years under an NDP government where, you know, things like land transfer tax and um, were, were you would, were rental controls, you felt like they might have been on yeah, the table. They, but um, but I think we, we've navigated it well and we haven't seen that, which is great. Alberta yeah. stayed strong on that. Um, so what, what makes a good investment property? In my mind, it's got to be cash flow. So having gone through the upside and the downside, yep. you know, Back in the day, <laughs> we were making so when much I money. Yeah, we were making so much money on appreciation that you know you'd buy a property and you, as scary as it is, you couldn't lose. You know, yeah. If you did things wrong, you made less money. You if bought you did anything things, in 02, 03, 04, 05, It all went up. Well, like, they were going up ten thousand dollars a month. Yes. So you had to really, really screw up to lose. Yes. And people could do it, but yes. for the most part, it was pretty easy to make money. So even if you bought something that broke even, didn't make any cash flow, you were still making money. And mortgage was getting paid down a tiny bit. It was going up five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars in six months or a year. So it was really easy. Fundamentals of cash flow as yeah. a good investment. That evolved once we started seeing everything kind of drop in price. So we get to two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten all these people who had bought all these alligators that were costing them money every month are starting to get scared because there's just not enough money to cover everything. So, <laughs> Give me the visual of the alligator. It's, it's just well, a, eating away at you. You got $100, $500, $1,000 oh, yeah. coming out yeah. of your pocket every month. Yeah. You're going, how am I going to stem this flow? Yeah. And you know, people were going into bankruptcy. Well, if, you, if you own more, a, a few of them, oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. There was a real culling of the herd yes. in, in that, that gap through there. So a lot of people who had cash flow were the ones who survived. So my rooming houses had a lot of cash flow. Yes. That helped tremendously. Yes. Um, other properties you just try and cull off, get rid of, and, and move forward. But as long as you have the cash flow, you know, over the long term, the cash flow would correct the problems with the market. So if you're making $500 or $1,000 a month cash flow, it was that much easier when you know, markets got a little bit slower, when vacancies went up, you could lower your rent a little bit. Yeah. When you're already losing $500, you don't want to lower your rent, lose another $100. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's part one. Cash flow is huge. The other part is multiple streams off of these properties. You know, a lot of people look at their neighbor's house and see it's up for sale and say, oh, that'd be a great investment property. It's just down the street. I can keep an eye on it. Well, they're probably living in a residential neighborhood mm -hmm. and it is too close because I hear this from landlords all the time. I can't believe what my tenant was doing at the house. You know, I can see it out the front window. Yes. It's just going to drive you nuts. It's, it's almost better to have it a little further away and not know about it. It's true. And, it's true. And it, just, and it just goes on. It doesn't affect you the same way. Yeah. And the other issue is that residential neighborhood, you've got two challenges. Most of the residential neighborhoods, it's much harder to find tenants for uh, because they're usually a little more affluent in the residential yes. neighborhoods. And they're saving up to buy a house. They're gone in a year, maybe two years. And now you've got this big payment on a property that's close to you that you're going to be vacant for a month or two. And quite often, that wipes out all your cash flow for a year or two. Right. You know, you buy into a rental neighborhood. And you know, like I said, I have a property in Forest Lawn. Yeah. And you get tenants that are with you for five years, eight years, 10 years, because that's their mindset. I rent. 
Yes. You know, they, they don't have a lot of aspirations to buying a home. Sometimes they do. Yeah. But you tend to get longer term tenants. And if you've got multiple streams where you've got an upper suite and a lower suite or a lot of the properties we rented were upper, lower, and even a detached garage. We rent a garage for 250, 300 bucks a month, giving us another 3,000 plus of cash flow a year. Yeah. And I mean, that makes a huge difference when you, you know, have to maybe adjust rent down a little bit for the upper unit, yep. or the lower unit, or the left unit, or the right unit. So if you can get multiple streams, you know, if you can get that, uh, the, the lane uh, suite, where yeah. you've got the stuff on Backyard top of the suites. garages, you've got yeah. uh, you know, so many different viabilities opening up. The city's doing a lot of things right now where they're making the, the illegal suites so much easier to turn into legal suites. Totally. And uh, you had Natasha on a few weeks ago, and she was talking about how some of the builders now are jumping on board. We saw that in a yeah. few instances where they were building legal suites, but you're getting more and more of this going on. So you've got legal units coming into play. And you're getting cash flow almost right from the beginning, which makes a, a huge difference. And you know, we're, I want to ask you about condos here for a second, but even talking, we were talking to Natasha about purpose-built rentals. Like you never saw anything about that. And what, one of the things I always say is when, when big money starts taking position, it's like pay attention, right? It's like you know, they're, they're seeing a shift. They're seeing um, opportunity and, and the investments getting made. And, uh, and I always think, you know, kind of put your head up and watch what Warren Buffett's doing and pretty soon, you know, all of a sudden he'll have a REIT that's doing like purpose-built rentals and he's in, you know, he's in the real estate market now yeah. and he has brokerages and things like that. Like it's, it's interesting. So, so, but tell us about condos. You've talked about single family homes and obviously the opportunities there. Uh, tell us about condos. Condos scare me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. Condos scare me yeah. a lot right now. You know, we're seeing a lot of issues up in Fort McMurray and Edmonton where some of these places are having problems getting insurance. You know, so they're seeing insurance skyrocket 500, 700%. And wow. that has to get paid somewhere. And it's going to go into condo fees. Yep. And what's that going to do to condo fees? You know, it's in some places immediately. In other places, is it going to be six months? Is it going to be a year? Are they going to eat up some of the reserves? We throw on top of that, uh, you know, the extra costs on utilities. We've got carbon tax on top of tax and, and various things going on. So that's driving up some of the utilities. So when you're dealing with these apartment style condos, for instance, that have got a lot of this common space that they have to heat and maintain, the costs are going up for that. And then let's talk about just taxes in general. Yeah. You know, as in Calgary specifically, as the downtown core is losing revenue like crazy. Oh my gosh. The it's city's got to come spread out for money somewhere. And, you know, they're doing a little bit. They're already talking in excess of 7% for, for homes. I don't think it's going to stop. I think that's going to keep on going. Yeah. And where does that all flow back to? It's going to be in condo fees. It's going to come back on these condo owners. So you might have 300 or $400 condo fees right now, and maybe they become 500 or $600. It's something you've really got to be concerned with. You've got to make sure you check those condo documents if you get into condos. Yeah. You know, between that and a mortgage, if you're getting into $15,000, $2,000 worth of payments, just to get by, you know, it's going to be tough to make any kind of cash flow off of this. Well, and we're seeing buildings that I know a lot of people right now are like, oh, Airbnb, Airbnb, and lots of buildings are cracking down on it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do condos. I mean, there's a lot of, especially with the uh, the, the supply that was in Calgary here, there's definitely some deals to be had, but the, the people need to be aware that um, they can be difficult to cash flow. They can... Um, you're out of control with like uh, repairs and stuff. You know, you can't yeah. just get Uncle Joe or that guy to go in and patch your stucco or something like that. Like they need yeah. to do bids and things like that. Yeah. And, and and you got to talk about exit strategy with something like a condo too. I mean, it could be tough to get rid of a lot of these properties. Yeah. You know, single family homes, uh, suited properties, you've got investors for the most part. Condos, 
you get into a trickier spot, especially with all the condos that are coming into the market. Yeah. We're going to see a lot more pressure on the prices being pushed down. And especially if we start seeing these condo fees go up, because people are going to have to unload. So you're going to see more on the market. You're going to see more people stuck with these units. You're going to see them renting for less. You're going to see yeah. prices go down. So it's condos scare me. Uh, probably for the next three to five years, they scare me. Although here's, in, here's another spin on it, because when you talk about educated landlording, um, one of the things that is interesting is the reason when a market slows uh, and homes don't necessarily sell as quick, some people who have been relocated, have moved out, have to sell their condo. And this is one of the things I, I love, or sorry, have to rent their condo. Yeah. And and you know, I, we might have mentioned, we might not, but there's be th these accidental landlords. So lots of the, um, it's like, I wasn't planning on being a landlord. Yeah. I'm not, I, I don't I consider myself an investor. <laughs> I just couldn't sell. So yeah. now I am a landlord. So how do you optimize your uh, landlording game? Um, and that's, and I love that you educate on that as well, because some people it's like, no, you know, maybe I wouldn't have bought a condo as an investment property, period. However, um, or as a cash flow investment property, However, I now own one, so how do I be the best landlord I can? So I'm actually dealing with two landlords right now, one in Calgary yep. and one in North Carolina. Yeah. So they've got their principal residence, which they were going to turn into rentals, and one is actually a rental right now. And I made them sit down and run the numbers. And they looked at the numbers, and it just doesn't make sense for them to keep it. Right. So even if they have to take a fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars $25,000 loss, they're better off ditching that property. Right. You know, the... The one fellow, I think he was losing $300 a month. Right. So, you know, that adds up pretty darn quick after a couple of years. So if he takes a twenty dollars $25,000 loss, just selling it now, he can still buy another investment property and get a couple of units out of it. And he'll see the swing on the cash flow anywhere from $300 to $1,000, depending on what he's looking at. Wow. And just turn the whole scenario around. Same with the fellow in, in North Carolina. Yeah. You know, he's got that single, he's got the, per, the personal resident that he was going to rent out. And I said, let's look at the numbers. Yeah. Run the numbers. And it's like, well, my mortgage is here and my taxes are here. So it looks like I'm just breaking even. What if you're vacant? What if you have to do any repairs? Yeah. You got to factor those in, you know, one month of vacancy. If you've got a hundred dollars worth of cash flow, your expenses are $1,200. You've lost a year, yep. two months, you've lost two years. Yep. So, you know, you got to take the emotions out and it's, it gets even worse when it's your personal residence because you get a little too attached. And totally. if you see you know, the tenant putting up a picture where you used to have your kid's picture, you know, it's just, so <laughs> yeah. it's better off to get rid of the personal residence. Just let it go, move on to the next and, yeah. and do it properly. So. I like it. I like it. All right, let's get some nitty gritty here now. Talk uh -oh. about some, some mistakes that you see uh, investors or, or new landlords make. Well, the biggest one is buying the wrong property. Fair. So they... As we talked about earlier, they, they see the neighbor's house down the street yep. and they buy that property because they think, well, I live here. It's got to be a great neighborhood. We're going to get great tenants. And, you know, they didn't do the math. So they are making even, you know, break even, maybe $100 a month. And then they're vacant for three months because it's a higher rental. Of course. They've got to try and get $2,100, $2,200. Yes. So suddenly they're vacant for three or four months and any cash flow that they had to cover things is completely gone. They've lost three years worth of, of cash flow. Yes. So, you know, that location, it comes back to location, location, location yeah. is huge. Uh, I'm so big on rental neighborhoods uh, simply because you've got a much bigger broad base of tenants. Mm -hmm. uh, you get more people to choose from and they stay. 
Yes. And I mean, that makes vacancies just kill the dreams of landlords. <laughs> it's so you true. Know, you, you lose sleep. You rush out to show a property at, at eight o'clock at night instead of going to your kid's hockey game. And you, you're just antsy until it's filled. And then even when it's filled, you're antsy because you don't know who, what these new people are like. Yes. You know, so if you can fill those vacancies right away, get people in there, you know, keep your tenants happy, stay on top of stuff. That's huge. Uh, the other problem that landlords have is they don't know the rules. You know, they will go to Staples and get a generic lease off of there. That's the same lease that they use in Saskatchewan or somewhere yep. else. that doesn't cover the specific rules you've got in Alberta. Uh, you know, they don't look at the details of be it non-smoking or some of the rules and issues we're running into with marijuana use in properties and, totally. and growing. You know, you've got to cover off on these things. You've got to have all the little particulars in there that suit your property to make sure you're doing everything right. And oh, I've seen, and I, you know, we've seen so many leases, especially with the, uh, starting up our property management division and just and I love it. I always say lawyers are uh, a little bit just like they're just plagiarizers, I feel like, because they see an agreement and like, oh, I really like that clause. Yeah, and mine. it's yeah, it's almost <laughs> it's almost paint by number. Like I've seen some of these business deals, uh, real estate contracts, uh, anything like that. And it is they oh copy and paste that, I copy and paste yeah. that, and copy and paste Change that. Change a couple words. That's right, yeah. that's right. And and somebody in Alberta, you know, had some issue, I would say these contracts are built off of precedence, so there's some issue that happens. Someone screwed up, made a mistake, got sued, had an issue, um, and or realized there's a hole, and then they patched it. And it's yeah. like, if you don't take note of those patches and these these generic kits yeah. don't have the specific patches in there that do things like cannabis or specifically for um, suited properties or specifically for this, it's, you know, various things like that. There's yeah. so many just, considerations. Just all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And- and the rules keep changing. So as a side note, uh, it's important to be with some kind of local organization as well, just so you can talk to, or, or even other landlords, if you can associate with other landlords and just get an idea of what's going on. Yeah. Because you know, the rules change, somebody gets burned on something, and suddenly this is how it works. Uh, you know, we had that with the introduction of the RTDRS, the Residential Tenancy Dispute Resolution Service, back in 2009. Yes. It was an entirely new way to evict tenants. And... I spent a lot of time there, which is where my eviction guide came from. Yes. And I would constantly run into landlords that were just, I don't get to use bamboozled very often, but they were bamboozled. They had no idea what to do. It yes. Was, it was new. The government had all their information up on the site and it was in typical government speak at the time. Totally. And people would try and fill out a form and it's like, I don't even understand what they want here. It's gotten way better. Uh, the information up on their site is tremendously better, but there's still a lot of confusion and people are still doing it wrong. Absolutely. And, you know, one little mistake suddenly lets a tenant stay for another month or two months or three months, and it can be challenging. You're also a proponent of having a plan as exactly. an investor. Exactly. What, what would be included in a plan? What kind of things would you think about? How old are you? Yeah, no, <laughs> that, that, That's key. I mean, good. if you're 25, 30 years old, you've got a lot of time. You know, a 25-year mortgage, you think about it, if you buy a property every couple of years for five or 10 years, you might have, you know, 10 properties by the time you're 35. Yeah. Um, and then those are all going to be paid off by the time 25 years mortgage. Yeah. Uh, those are all going to be paid off by the time you're in your 50s and 60s. And suddenly you've got 2000 3000 5000 $10,000 for the cash flow coming in every month. You know, it really sets you up for a great retirement. The other end of the schedule, you're 55 and you start buying a property. Well, maybe instead of taking that cash flow out, you're pounding that down on the mortgage and getting that mortgage paid off in 10 or 15 years. So you're still hitting that, you know, 55 to, to 65 to 70 mark where it's all paid off. And now you've got the cash flow coming in. So yeah. you've got to plan ahead like that. Uh, you've got to have look 
and see what are you comfortable with? Do you want to manage these properties yourself? Do you take over these properties and suddenly you've got three or five properties, you've got your full-time job, maybe your plan is that you know, you're know you just going to make all this money on the side, you're going to have property managers in place and get it all done with. What's going to work for you to get you where you need to be at the end? Right. Do you need that retirement income at the end? Do you need it? the cash flow right now so you can get out of your job? You know That's where rooming houses were fantastic for me. You know, I was $1,500 a month cash flow off a single property. Yeah. It quickly helped replace a day job. So yeah, you know, it made that transition easier. Do you need the day job to get the mortgages? That was one of my challenges before. I had to stay in the business you know, getting mortgages for three years before I could qualify on my own because of the rental property. Right. So it's where do you need to be? What are the dots to get there in the middle? And yeah. just fill it in along. I love that. Um, so talk about realtors adding investors to their client base. Um, why should they do it? A lot of them shy away. And and that's a, well, I think that's a mistake. I think you should have the knowledge to do that because I think you're pushing away a hefty percentage of potential market share out there. Um, give me your take on why realtors should engage with investors. Well, we're a real problem. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. If people are like, oh, is that, uh, we get phone calls often sometimes where someone's like, I have an investor that wants to do this. Is this fraud? And it's like, no, no, no. Um, right. Let's just let's just understand it. And that's why investors get frustrated, I think, sometimes with realtors too, because uh, they don't understand the game. Exactly. So we go back to when we started. Yeah. And we went through probably about four or five realtors before we found one who got it. Right. Who understood what we were doing. And, you know, we did a couple deals with some of the realtors and it's like, it just didn't work. They didn't understand what we we're looking for. Um, one of them actually even got confrontational with us. My wife's an interior designer, so she can go look at a property and it's going to cost 25, 30, 45 grand. She just, we knew our numbers because we were doing enough flips on these properties. Yes. And this fellow said, well, I talked to another guy and he said, you can get it done for five grand. And it's like, <laughs> we've already done like yeah. 10 of these, yeah. you know. Maybe you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And it, just little stuff like that would get confrontational. And some of them had little interest in showing us. Uh, we had one younger realtor that uh, we started to work with. And when we started out, we were getting tons of leads off of our ads and signage that we ran. And we need to get comparables. Yeah. And I think we had to do about five or six comparables. Sometimes it takes 15 or 20 before we get something that works. Yeah. And then we may not even necessarily buy it through the realtor. Yeah. But we got to sell it usually. Yeah. Or we'll have to sell it later. Totally. But she became offended because we were getting all these comps and weren't buying anything. It's right. Like, well, it's kind of how it works with investors. Yeah. Now, uh, we were outliers because we were looking at anything and everything. So right. it, it was a little bit more work. But you fast forward to the previous realtor that we were dealing with, and we probably ran 25 transactions through him in wow. 10 years. Wow. So Play the he got it. Game. He yeah. got it. Right. Yeah. So it, it made a huge difference. So uh, when you're dealing with investors, a, a lot of stuff that the realtors need to be aware of is you've got to you've got to vet your clients um, because we're in a good market for investors right now. You're going to see more and more, and this happens all the time. Yeah. You start seeing more and more of these seminars coming into town. Oh yeah. So huge. as the market heats up, or there's a certain area becomes popular, the investors start flocking to the area. I, I see it on, I mean, I'm in real estate, obviously, so Facebook ads and things yeah. like that. And I just, some of them are amazing. I, I want to, I always want to speak to them. Some of them are Canadian related content, yeah. um, really good, really solid fundamentals. Um, love Rain, heard decent things about Keyspire. I don't know Keyspire stuff in particular, particular but um, I'll tell you, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ones that I feel like this is like the snake oil guy, like 
sh- sh- trucking well, it, it, the town, doing this thing. Yeah. Like, like I, I, we were RAIN members for seven years, and yep. it was tremendous. The amount yep. of information that we gained was, yep. was awesome. Yep. Uh, the people that we met, the networking was phenomenal. We're still in contact with a lot of those people. Uh, I know a lot of the people with Keyspire. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Great information. Yep. They're really providing some great ideas and thoughts yep. on how to do things and great support. Other ones that I'm not going to mention no, fair. Are, are on the other side of the spectrum yes. where it's like, you know, buy in. Okay. Oh, get our $10,000 coach. Oh, get our 50,000, get our hundred thousand dollar coach. Literally. And they may not be providing the right information and you end up with a realtor and he's got somebody who's just come fresh off the seminar. And, you know, we were guilty as well, you know, back 15 odd years ago when we did that seminar. Yeah. And fortunately our, our lawyer kind of pointed us in the right direction, but we didn't know exactly what we were looking for. And, you know, if you're vetting your your clients, you know, and if you're educated about it as well as a realtor, you can kind of guide them and go, you know, here's what I understand about the market and here's what I'd like you to look at a little bit more. And a lot of this stuff can actually be automated from the realtor side. When the, the homeowner has a plan, it's like, I want a suited property in these areas. You know, you can have those spit out every time they show up in the listing. It yeah. just automatically goes out to them. You can automate that stuff and make your life so much easier. Yeah. I was talking with a realtor a few weeks ago and he we were discussing what's one of your challenges with uh, with investors. And he said, I have a challenge when somebody says, when you see a deal, send it to me. <laughs> well, what does a deal look like to you? Yeah, exactly. Is it something that you can renovate and resell? Is it something that you want to hold on to for five years and make some money totally. because it's in a great area? Is it something that you're going to hold on to for 25 years? You've got to understand what your client's looking for, where they want to be in that 10 or 15 or 25 year plan. You know, yeah. For for investment property, you need to hold on to something for usually seven to 10 years yeah. before it starts turning. You know, sometimes it's five years, but by seven years, you've got enough equity paid down that you've covered off a lot of your expenses. If you have to sell it again, you've got some cash flow coming in, which has made life better. Um, but if you are doing something for three years, you may not make much money. Right. So, you know, what's that long-term plan? Find that out from your client and see where you can go. The beautiful thing about getting into the investors is when it works, when you're doing their things right, yeah. you know, that's might be one property a year versus your typical client. It's one property every seven 10, 12 years as they move. And now suddenly they have two properties and they're going to have to sell those at some time. And if you're in there, you've not only got the front end, now you've got the back end. Yeah. And if you get into investors who really get it, now it's suddenly one or two or three properties or five properties a year. And yeah. what will that do to your bottom line? And totally. again, you've still got it on the back end. And then the last fun thing about investors is we talk a lot. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, you wouldn't believe the deals Jimmy got me. Yeah. And suddenly Jimmy's got somebody else going, I hear you can do this. It's so and, true. You know, now it's word of mouth. And I mean, how much word of mouth is the realtor business, right? Well, and, and sitting there, I know Natasha was talking about how you got to get in these mastermind groups, get around other investors. And the fact that these people are meeting and talking, and I mean, that's, that's incredible. Like you were, and when you and I first sat down, you were talking about how, Oh yeah, a deal would come up. It's like, well, well, who bought that? I didn't buy that. You know, yeah. someone. Like, yeah. Oh, John bought it. You yeah. know, and it's yeah. our, our little circle of friends. Yeah, but yeah. but that's it. You find a good realtor, just like you have a good dentist, a good lawyer, a good accountant. How you're many? Telling. Yeah, and, and realtors. You know, how many times have we been up on the CIR private Facebook page, and someone's like, anyone know what a good accountant? All of a sudden, the same names go, brrr, you yeah. know, put up there, and it's no difference. So that can be. And I'll just speak to one other thing. I talk about strategic alliances and how lawyers who have asked foreclosure business, I was talking to one gentleman who specialized in foreclosures and I said, so how did it happen? He's like, I was just willing to do the work. 
And the lawyers were so pissed off at realtors because sometimes they say every month or every couple of weeks, I need you to drive by and do another CMA for me. Well, he just hired another realtor, gave him 75 bucks. The guy drives by, does a CMA for him. But he's like, I was the only person that actually did all the work. And the lawyer was just like, finally. So they're talking to other lawyers like, oh, tell us, call so-and-so. You want all the foreclosure business? Just send it to so-and-so. And it was amazing how if you're just willing to do it, you understand that, yes, there's some stuff that isn't nice about it, but that's just because you're used to it. You're, you're in your box of how, how yeah. this real estate transaction is supposed to go. You get the nice family that comes in, hopefully to buy the third house you showed them, and you know you and sat you down go. for a consultation, the way you go. Well, this is a bit different. Yeah. It, it, I think we talked about this when we first initially sat, yeah. the, the Dunning-Kruger effect they, they talk about. And it's how when you think you know everything in your little box, you're really smart. And then when you suddenly see how big the box is, you know, again, buying that third yeah. house you show versus going to the foreclosure business. I've walked a bunch of realtors through foreclosures. We've bought a lot of foreclosures over the ages. Yeah. And understand a lot of the process. I've gone to foreclosure court. I've, I've listened to the, the process. I've watched it. Um, I've fought against the foreclosure myself. Again, in your story, you were yeah. talking about how you assumed that re- mortgage is just the mortgage. mortgage. Yeah. And I found out they don't either. They don't. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we were up to six weeks before they said we'd renew, but they were going to renew at a much higher rate. And then they just suddenly pulled it off the table. That was uh, summer of 2010. So now. That was my two. Yeah. We had a. We might have had the same mortgage product. (laughs) Could have been. We had an $80,000 gap. If we needed to get new financing, we had to put 80 grand down. Mine was 60. Yeah. And it just didn't make sense. So we ended up selling it or listing it. Yeah. Market was horrible that summer. Yep. And it finally, we got an offer. I think it was in October. I had to make two court appearances. I had all my documentation. Wow. I'd walk through and, you know, fortunately the judge understood I knew what was going on. Yeah. Gave us extra time because the, the lawyer wanted to foreclose. And I, I can tell nasty foreclosure stories later as well. But, uh, you know, the, the process is kind of set up so that the lawyers get paid the further foreclosure goes through. So it's, yeah, it's kind of messy. Um, so you really got to know what you're doing to make these things work. I just have to clarify for the audience who might not have listened to my story. <laughs> just so they're not like, what, Lindsay, you just went to foreclosure and didn't make payments? No, I made all my payments. Never missed a payment. Never missed a payment. Yeah. I qualified for a self, um, it was a, a self-employed mortgage and then, you know, income verification. This is 2017 or 2007, sorry. 2007, got it, uh, put 15% down. The bank that we got it through was self-insured. Um, they said, we'll self-insure the mortgage. And then a year later, when the crash came, they pulled that mortgage product. And I had signed a three-year term and amortized over 25 or 30 years. Yep. And so you just assume that this is it. You I mean, just I get to renew it. You just get to renew it. You got a mortgage. So then the renewal came up and they said, oh, Lindsay, that product doesn't exist anymore. So you can't renew on it. Well, what do we have to do? Oh, you have to requalify. Well, Heck, I mean, first of all, self-employed, so I claimed as little as possible. Yeah. The, the the price of the property from 2007 to 2010 had dropped by like 60 grand. And literally, and I had- And because to, it was insured, it was even higher. That's right. And so, exactly. So they had to, yeah, literally, like the, the amount of equity, because they, they still charged me the insurance premium. And they said, well, what do I do? And they said, give us the money. Or from requalify. And, I'm, and the, house, the, the house was underwater. Yeah. So I made every payment and they said, you pay us the whole amount. Yeah. And that was it. So I had to put down another $60,000 to make it happen. But I was just, wow, like your, your mortgage is for five years or three years, whatever you do. And make sure you're still in a position to requalify if you have to. 
Yeah. So anyways, so that's it. So I didn't miss payments, not a deadbeat. Same thing, um, didn't miss a payment. And not that people who miss payments are deadbeats necessarily. I'm just saying that, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, I just have to qualify yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. Um, okay, let's, let's come, to, come to an end here. So I want to talk a little about some of, because you, you provide a pretty cool service to realtors, and I want to talk about that. Uh, but how can realtors turn these investor challenges into opportunities? Well, <laughs> it, it's back to understanding more of the, the investor mindset or walking them down a path to having an investor mindset. Right. You know, when we don't know what we're doing, we think we know what we're doing. And that seems to happen with a lot of these landlords. If you become more of a specialist or, you know, let's look at a, a nice plan. You've been a realtor for, for 10, 12 years. You've got a good client base behind you. And a lot of these people are probably not going to buy another property or maybe have already bought the second time. What if we go back to them and talk to them about, you know, what are you doing for, for investment? Have you seen what's going on with the market? You know, perhaps yeah. you'd be interested in another rental property. I see a lot of this taking place. Totally. And now suddenly your client of 10 years who had never entertained an investment property sees what's going on. You've provided the information. You've shown them how it works. And now you've got another potential deal in your hands. And to tie it in, you make sure they've got all the information they need. You show them, you know, maybe for a single property, you show them how, what they need to know, how they can manage it, how it works. If this is something where they want to be more hands-off, CIR just happens to have a property management division. Beautiful. And now it's almost hands-free for this homeowner yeah. who's got their second property and now has got an investment stream. And now you're even more endeared to them yeah. because you've, you're making them money. You yeah. got them a home. You yeah. made them happy. You got them a home. But now you're making them money. And you know, it can just kind of grow and expand from there. And, you know, and go ahead. To add, yeah, to add to that, I mean, I, I so there's a there's an organization um, in Fort Collins, Colorado, called the Group, and they run a, a seminar called Ninja Selling, um, and it's just it's relationship based selling. It sounds like it's all um, like it'd be something that's sort of malicious or manipulative, but it's not at all. It's actually the exact opposite. This gentleman just kept on coming in, dropping off four transactions and leaving and going the next day, dropping off four transactions. You're like, what is he doing? He's like a ninja, just coming in and out. Yeah. But all it was is building these incredible relationships with his clients. And one of the things they say to ask your clients is, are you interested in wake up money? And wake up money is that passive income where you wake up the next day and it's like, oh my gosh, how much money did you make overnight? Well, I have people paying down my mortgage and potentially cash flow and things like that. So I'm, I have this wake up money. And it's amazing how you just ask the client just ask your clients, and if everyone knows 100 to 150 people, just ask them, would you, you know, have you guys thought about this? Like the environment is there. And if you have a bit of a package and you can put together a bit of a plan, this is very doable, either as hands on or hands off yeah. as, as you potentially want it to be. And when we talk about, I mean, we're at a point where we're recording this and it's, uh, the markets are just going crazy from, um, <laughs> I've said this word so many times today in our previous meetings, but the coronavirus and things like that. And people fear are, driven. it's all fear driven. Yeah. It's all fear driven. And it's like, now's the time to get in. You know, the, the classic Warren Buffett quote when, you know, people get fearful, get greedy, right? Yeah. Like it's, uh, it, it's true. Right. So, so anyway, but talking to your clients about, and simply planting the seed and asking the question, we just had a baby. And one of the things that we're doing is we are going to contribute to RESPs, but we're also very likely going to buy a property so that when this kid is 18 years old, um, they will get the university paid for in any university of their choice in anywhere in the world. And mom and dad will be able to reap the returns of the rest of it. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. it's like, yeah. 
is not going to be in his trust fund. I mean, he's got to earn, earn his way in the world. Yeah. But um, but you'll give him that kick for it. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And maybe they want to live in it later. Like, yeah. I, I mean, there's there's a hundred opportunities here. So so just talking to your clients about that is huge. So, yeah, I, I love that. Sorry, I, I interrupted. So talk about opportunities. Um, uh, and you say about automating the process. Is that with reference to the property management side and things like that? That's where you have the property managers in place. That's where you're basically managing the managers. Amazing. So where's my reports and how's everything working? And instead of being all hands-on where you're, it, again, floating back to when we started, we did everything. Yeah. So I was not necessarily the best handyman back in the day, but I can paint a house faster than most painters. Yes. <laughs> but I've done everything from sinks and plumbing to electrical to breakers to panels to all kinds of stuff. So I know how it's done and I know how much faster a professional can do it. Yeah. So if it's an emergency, something's going to be done, I can go in, I can change a light, change a lamp, uh, change plugs. Um, but I have to do the math. You know, yeah. and if somebody's working full time and they're an engineer downtown making $200 an hour, why aren't you paying a plumber $75 to do the work when you can go yeah. make your engineering money? So totally. automate a lot of the process, hand it off to somebody else and, and get your systems in place so it's easy to deal and easy to manage with. Love and it. it even comes down to buying. It's like, I only buy suited properties in this district. Send me everything that comes in. You know, one of my favorite areas in Calgary has been Ogden. You know, Ogden's been a phenomenal area for me. That's where I had a bunch of my rooming houses. Yeah. Uh, we had five in the area at one point. And I had awesome transportation into downtown, into the industrial areas. It was close to the industrial areas. We had two major roads going by. We had Glenmore. We had Deerfoot. So it was easy to get everywhere. So it was incredibly easy to find tenants and find people that wanted to live in that area. Yeah. You know, so you target these areas. You automate your system. So I just get everything that shows up in Ogden. Yep. And your life gets easier. So I love it. Bill, you've provided so much great information and there's a lot of realtors who are uh interested in not in dipping their toes but getting involved in this and one of the things i love is you've also put together um, um you've coached real you've coached landlord you've coached investors going through this process and um you're developing a bit of a you've developed a bit of a coaching program for realtors to help them early stages early stages <laughs> yep. early stages but um I want to point people to, to more resources because I think that anybody that wants to explore this further should. And um, so you have a website, educatedlandlord.com, yes. and you're going to set up a link. Can we make a slash CIR Realty to done. keep it easy? Okay. So, so, or, or will be done. Will be done. This yeah, is pre-recorded. Yeah, 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 it's pre-recorded. It'll be good. <laughs> By the time this is up and you're hearing this, it's done. We'll also post it up in the chat. Okay. Um, but you put together, and I'm going to have people contact you for more information to get yeah, all the details because it's so cool because Bill is willing to sit down and work with you to your work with your first couple investor clients all the way through to your first couple clients. And the, the investment is so reasonable and then you have it where you're going to get the transactions out of it. And then you have a life long to, to reap the benefits forever in your career. And I, I think it's fantastic. So um, I don't want to get into too many details because I think people got to go on and see it. But I, I want to let people know educatedlandlord.com slash CIR Realty. Um, all Just one CIR. Word. Oh, Just CIR. Slash CIR. Okay. Slash CIR. okay, got it. Got it. Educatedlandlord.com slash CIR. We'll post up in the chat as well. But for those of you listening to the podcast, um, you're able to hear it and go ahead and visit it. And even if you're not with CIR, we got a lot of visitors. Go ahead and take a look at it anyways. Um, that'll be cool. And um, anything else you want to add regarding that program right now? 
I should have something to add, but I don't. Okay, okay, good. You know what? That's okay. <laughs> we've, That's we've, okay. we've covered a lot of stuff here, yeah. so it's a lot to digest. So. Yeah, and and we'll be hearing more from uh, Bill as the as the coming months go on, and um, I can see you being a great resource to the brokerage uh, to have come in and chat and um, work with our realtors to um, help them get there. And lots of times, you just need a helping hand with clients, and I'll tell you, you can partner up with someone and and give away fifty percent of what you're doing to learn how to work with an investor, um, or you it, can also it's a knowledge. get a get a coach and um and and do it right the first time and then have that lifelong of uh, knowledge yeah. to help um yeah. benefit One, from. Once you've got that knowledge, it's it exactly. just helps you move forward and you've got to fill those gaps. Teach a person to fish. There you go. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I like it. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. And I, I suggest going to even educatedlander.com. He's got some resources right away. So um Bill Biko. Uh, educated landlord, and um, again, thank you for your time and providing yeah. great information. Just to clarify, the educated landlord. The educated landlord. Yeah. The educated landlord.com slash CIR. Yeah, there we go. So I was too slow. Somebody took uh, educated landlord before I got it. So. Okay. The educated landlord.com slash CIR. There we go. Perfect. Awesome. We'll get that correct. Thanks, there. Bill. All right. Awesome. Thank you everyone for joining us this week. Uh, if you are looking for the rest of our CI Realty Business Mastery podcast, you can certainly uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or uh, download us and listen to our podcast on the go anywhere you get your podcast. Apple iTunes, Android, Google Play, uh, SoundCloud, anywhere you want to go. So make sure you follow us, subscribe so you don't miss one, and we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. All the best.